This morning we're going to be looking at the working of miracles. And I can't decide decide which one's my favorite. The working of miracles or the gift of faith. I think the gift of faith is going to edge out. Now, just for a little heads up. Next week is Resurrection Sunday. The greatest, the anniversary of the greatest miracle that ever took place here in the face of the earth. So I've got a homework question for you that we will answer next week. Is the greatest miracle that ever happened on the face of this earth, the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead, did that happen because of someone that God worked through or did that happen as a sovereign act of God? The answer will help you. But we're not going to get into that until next week. Would you turn in your Bibles? We have, actually we're going to be in a number of different places here this morning. And um, looking at the working of miracles. Now how does the working of miracles differ from the gifts of healings that are there? Is a miracle better, more powerful, or greater in any way? What if I need one? What if you need a miracle? What are you supposed to do? Wait for somebody to come along? So we hope to answer these questions about this spiritual gift. We want you to, to know what these are. Because the working of miracles does not seem to be evident very much in the body of Christ. And I don't think this is because God doesn't want it. It is because we're not pursuing it the way that we should, or nor do we understand it the way that we should. If we understood it and pursued it, we'd probably see it more. In the the gifts of healings, and there are plural, there are uh, a number of them, the gifts of healings are not inadequate for their purpose. If the gifts of healing meet the sickness they target, 100% of the time it wins. The only thing that can stop it is unbelief You don't have to have faith for this to work. You have to have unbelief to turn it off. If you are operating in the gifts of healing. If you are operating in the gift of faith for you to be healed, it's different. But we're talking about the gifts of healing. When the gifts of healing are in operation, the faith of the person receiving is not in the the equation. The unbelief of the person receiving is. You can turn it off, but it is God who turns it on through the servant that he is using. How many times have we seen in this, in the Gospels that Jesus had a crowd of people who came and he healed how many? All. How is it that he healed all? Because the gifts of the Spirit were not in, they were without measure with him. He had all of the gifts of healings. That means any sickness that came that way, as long as unbelief didn't turn it off, it was taken care of, which is why he turned away no one in these meetings. There were times that unbelief turned it off. If you need a gift of healing, you do not need a miracle. Don't hold out for a miracle and don't think a miracle is more powerful. Because what you need is all the power that you, that you need. And don't think gifts of healings are less powerful than working of miracles. They just operate in different ways. But we have to understand what they are and to, to, um, to accomplish them. Do you need someone who is a working, who works in the gift of working of miracles in order to receive a miracle in your body? We hope to answer that question here for you today as we, as we go through. I went through, there's a number of people in the body of Christ and, and past, a lot of them are no longer with us. They're in heaven. Uh, rejoicing the gift was returned, so to speak. <laughs> but I was listening to some of their teaching on it. And, um, some of them would get, would, would talk about all the things that we're going to cover in the teaching and didn't cover a single one. now that's frustrating for me as a teacher because i'm thinking i know you can teach this why don't you (laughs) but they they didn't they told a lot of the stories now people who operate in this gift have stories to tell you that people who do not operate in the gift do not and so it's good to hear those those stories of the things that are going on and the things that the gift of healing has accomplished but we also need to understand what it is through the Word of God. And so we're going to spend some time here looking at this through the Word of God. Now, I gave you a definition, and this is just something from me. I didn't pull it off anywhere because I looked for definitions from other people, and the few that actually would define this gift, I felt them, felt, found them completely inadequate. 
for, for this. And some of the people that I'm sure would have a great one, I couldn't find that they defined it anywhere. So we try and define each of these gifts. So this is how I defined it for you. God working through believers to supersede the natural course of things and miraculous, miraculously changing what is to what God wills. This is the working of miracles. Is God working through someone? The working of miracles has always worked through someone. Someone works it. Someone does it. If you go to the book of Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it's verse 10, where it talks about the working of miracles. The term working of miracles is done with the first word working, the word we get our word energy from. The second word, miracles, is the word we get our word dynamite from. Many people confuse dunamis with explosive power. The Greeks did not have explosive power. What they had was inherent power. When they named dynamite, they didn't name it because it exploded, even though it does. They named dynamite after this Greek word because dynamite in its nature has power. The explosion is what releases it. So every time you see the word dunamis in the, in the gospels, in the word of God, it's not talking about power that just blows things up. It's talking about power that is part of its nature. When you have the working of God in you, you have the nature of God in you. Therefore, you have the power of that nature working in you. It doesn't blow you up. It doesn't blow stuff up. What it does is it accomplishes the purpose that it needs. It goes in there and it takes care of it. And God's power is always more than enough. More than enough. So, that's the best way I could figure to, to define it. It does not seem to require the faith of others, but their unbelief can shut it down. And just because God's will would call for a change doesn't mean that change will occur. This is something you have to understand. Just because God calls for a change, just because God desires a change, just because God wills for there to be a change, it does not mean it will happen. There are things you can do with your regular faith to change the course of nature. And there are things that this gift will do. But it always operates through people. We have to understand what God wants to do and therefore set out to do it. There's a lot of times people want to say, well, I want this done, therefore God wants it done. That is false. There's a whole lot of Christians out there who think God wants to do certain things and God has no part of it. Now, I'll give you an extreme example. Paul thought he was doing the will of God going around killing Christians. But God was not in it. And God's power came against him. Just because you're a born-again Christian doesn't mean that you automatically know what the will of God is. Or what, uh, what God wants to do for you. There needs to be in us more of a stick to more of a patience, as the word would call it. The word for patience is talking about an endurance. Do you know how many Christians receive a miracle, receive a healing, receive direction from God, and instead of tapping into the power, they back out? Because whenever the power of God meets the forces in this world that would come against it, there is resistance. And many times Christians hit that resistance and they stop. And they don't go on. Determining that what I thought was the will of God is not now. Now think about it this way. This is a really easy example for you to see it. But you go to a meeting. There's a person there who operates in the gifts of healings. Or there's a person there who operates in the working of miracles. Whatever it was, you received the healing. You received a miracle. Something happened in your body. And you got, you got, you got healed. Your, your, your present condition was altered because of the power of God. Much like in the Gospels, much like in the book of, book of Acts, that we see believers who came up to people and lame people whose present condition was to be lame got up and walked. People whose present condition was blindness saw. People whose present condition was to not be able to hear heard. People who could not get up, people who were sick, people who had fevers, people who had epilepsy, people who had demon possession. You, the list goes on. They had That was their present condition. They met the power of God and that condition changed. 
Now, Christians today, we don't have this recorded in the Word of God. It probably would help us maybe if it was, but uh, God didn't show us this, this aspect of things. He showed us the positive as- aspect. But there are Christians who have gone to one of these meetings and they've received healing in their body. A condition that was there is no longer. It was gone. And then they go on out and they receive some resistance from people, from whatever comes against them. Maybe their body just begins to talk to them. Anybody your body ever talk to you? Yeah, our bodies like to talk to us. And they tell us, this is still wrong. This is still going on. And stuff comes in. And then we determine, well, I guess it wasn't God's will to heal me after all. And we back down. What the body of Christ needs is people who will, with patient endurance, stick it out. And not back, not back down, not pull back. If God told you what he wanted you to do, if God demonstrated to you what he wanted you to do, do not let it go. How many have ever heard of those preachers? And I know of several who talk about getting a hold of something like a bulldog. You know, a bulldog gets a hold of a bone, they don't let it go. I mean, their mouth is made that they grab a hold of something, they don't let it go. We had a pug. That's a bulldog wannabe. <laughs> not quite a bulldog <laughs> it, it, but it wants to be you can tell it wants to be it grabs hold of that thing and it it wants to hang on with everything that it can but it just it's just not a bulldog but that bulldog that gets a hold of something you're, you're not, it's not letting it go i mean you can take that thing you can swing it in the air it's not letting it go and that's what we have to have that kind of tenacity What happens sometimes is, I feel God told me I should do this. I feel God wants this to go on in my life. I feel this is the direction I'm supposed to go. I feel that God healed me. I know that God healed me, whatever it might be. And then we hit some resistance. Oh, I don't think it was God. And we back off. And we let it go. But you're not supposed to. Just because you feel something in your body. So if you go to one of these meetings... Say that you'd go on one of these meetings and somebody got up there, say like a Catherine Coleman type. I mean, she had some miracles going on in her meetings that just were, were crazy. She's a little spooky. I understand that. She's a little... <laughs> Thank God personalities don't hinder God. They sometimes hinder us, but some, don't let them hinder God. Just understand when God puts a gift on somebody, their personality is still there. You got to get past that. I mean, come on. <laughs> you get past the personality personality of doctors who try and work on you. Get past the personality of whoever it is that God put the gift on. Catherine Coleman, though, she was a little eerie, a little spooky, a little weird. But if you got healed, who cares? Smith Wigglesworth did some things that would make your skin crawl in the service. But he got he got he had success because he did what God told him to do, and things happened. You better be in a position where you heard what God said. <laughs> You're going to do some of this. But if you got into one of those meetings, and these, and in fact, I was listening to, uh, who was it? I think it was uh, Brother Lester Sumrall. He was talking about somebody I had never heard of except for him talking about it in the past. He was over there in, um, he was over there in um, uh, uh, Europe, uh, Britain, I think it was. I think it was, I think it was Britain. And uh, I think his name was, was Jeffries or something like that. I think that was his name. He said that the people that he got healed, it was just a remarkable the uh, the stories and the numbers of people who got healed. He said it's just sickness and disease just didn't seem to stand up to to the anointing that was on him, and um, unfortunately, it uh, he didn't have the character to to maintain it, and he went in a very bad direction and eventually died of the thing. One of the things though he told about was that rheumatoid arthritis. He said he couldn't stand couldn't could not stand up to the anointing that was on his life. In fact, the worse off a person was the more excited he was. And he, he just couldn't wait to get back there and lay hands on it. He said, people said in the meetings, they heard the crinkling of bones. When this anointing worked on people with rheumatoid arthritis, crinkling of bones. You could hear the sounds in the meeting as bones came back. Because you know that thing just deforms people and, and does things. And uh, when he got off and, and uh, did some things, worked in a way he shouldn't have, have been walking, and I'm not going to get into all the, what I, what little tiny bit I know of the story, I'm not going to get into all that, but just understand he went in the wrong direction. And what, he actually, uh, died of rheumatoid arthritis. That all those things that he had prayed for, it seemed like it all came back on him. In fact, he was so deformed that they had to break bones in order to get him in the coffin. 
it was, uh, it was that bad. Uh, when the anointing of God comes on you, folks, have the character. Yeah, make sure God gets the glory. Make sure you operate the way, the way. There are a lot of people out there, the devil tries to tempt them to take the glory. Don't take the glory for what God does. You cannot do it. If you do it, it, it won't work that well for you. It may work for a little while. God puts up with some of it for a little while. Why? I don't know. He's God. <laughs> he puts up with what he wants to put up with. But after a while, it hits a spot. And he said, that's it. And uh, the, the anointing will go. And uh, just bad things happen. Just don't get into that. But that wasn't even the working of miracles. That was just simply him operating the gift of healing. He operated in, in multiple gifts of healings. And many things that would come into that meeting it would, would leave. And would, uh, would not survive the, the meeting. It was tremendous stuff. But you could be in one of these meetings and God could move on your body and then you get a twinge of pain and the devil come back and say, well, that's it. You got it back again. And see, we don't push through. We don't stay with what God. No, God told me I was healed. No, God showed me. No, God did this. If you've ever been in a meeting and a word of knowledge came about your condition and you went up there and got prayed for. I'm sure you've been in meetings where different things like that has, has happened. Don't wonder, well, I wonder if it really was God's will to heal me. No, you got to take hold of that thing and, and not let it go. The devil wants you to let it go. Don't let it go. Hang on to it. Those gifts, when they get an operation, they overcome a lot of things, a lot of problems that are in your life to get you to that place because God wants you in that place. Your faith can probably do most of the things these gifts would operate and to do. Your own faith could get it for yourself. But this is an operation so the people can come along and help minister to you and get you to that place. And that's why they're here. The devil wants people to think they're dead, not here, not going on. Folks, these gifts were an operation in the Old Testament. These gifts were an operation in the New Testament. These gifts were never intended to stop because we need help. Now, just because God's will would call for a change doesn't mean that change will occur. A believer must be the bridge. A believer must be the bridge. The gift is a means to do that. That gift comes on the believer. He is that bridge between God and that individual to take care of that need that they have. There is usually, in this gift, the working of miracles, there is usually some kind of action taken by the one God is working through. There is something that they do. There is something that they call for. There is something that they instruct. Somehow this stuff will will come about in that. And I'm going to give you a number of examples of where this is in the Bible. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we had the children in the service, my daughter came up with the idea of writing the back all the miracles that uh, that you can think of in the Word of God. And then I was they came on back to me and I was supposed to qualify them. <laughs> is that a miracle? Oh, I had fun with the with the kids on that one. They wrote down some good ones, and a couple of them wrote down. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that one, and and uh, sure enough, but some of them were healings. Because sometimes you get a great healing going on. It looks like a miracle. It's not. It's a healing. That's all right. It don't matter what you call it. Just so you get healed, just so you get fixed, right? <laughs> we don't care about all the all that sort of stuff. But we went on through, and we we looked at that. Now, the working of miracles is not limited to health and wellness conditions, but any condition that affects mankind. Any. Any condition that affects mankind, this working of miracles will do. Healings is limited to healing. It's looking out for sickness and disease or something that's coming and attacking the body. But working of miracles, there's no limit on this. Anything, any condition that affects mankind, this, this working of miracles can, can combat it. It can often affect groups of people or nations. Gifts of healing work on individuals. When a gift of healing is on operation, it's from the person that gift is on to the person who needs to receive it. It's one-on-one. But when you have the working of miracles, sometimes it can be a whole group of people that the miracle is there on behalf of. It can be nations. There's a lot of places in the Word of God where working of miracles affected nations. And not just Israel, but Israel is certainly one of the, the big ones that we see. Now, this is not a place to pick up where the gifts of healing, of healing falter. There is no disease or sickness that can stand under the gifts of healing. None. 
If you have a gift of healing for a particular condition, that condition will always bow to it unless someone brings in doubt and unbelief. That will, that will shut it down. Now, where was it in use? There's many examples in the New Testament where you will see the working of miracles. Of course, we all know the first miracle Jesus did. Turning of the water to the wine. See, the working of miracles is going against what is natural. It is, is changing the natural laws as we understand them. Somehow, it's, it has, uh, it's gone into another direction. And we don't understand how God does because he understands these elements far more than we do. It's not a big deal for him to do it because he has a greater understanding of nature and the elements. We don't walk in that kind of uh, understanding. But certainly, when we see that uh, water was made into wine, that is one. In Luke chapter 4, you don't have to write these down unless you want to. But in Luke chapter 4, Christ passed unseen through a crowd of Nazareth. They wanted to throw him off over the ledge and all of a sudden he just passed through. How does that happen? See, that's a miracle. In Luke chapter 5, we have a great catch of fish. In Matthew chapter 12, we have a hand that was restored in Galilee. In chapter 8, we saw that there was a great storm on the Sea of Galilee. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Gifts of healing work with sickness and disease. But it works on people that are alive. Miracles brings them back. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have the feeding of the 5,000. That goes beyond what is natural. Those uh, little bit of loaves and fishes, they don't feed that many people. But it did there. Jesus walked on the sea. Well, that goes against natural. That We don't understand how that would, would work. But apparently there's something that can go on that can cause somebody to walk on water. Because it also happened for Peter. Later on, 4,000 were supernaturally fed. There was money that was found inside the mouth of a fish to pay taxes. Lazarus was raised from the dead. The fig tree was cursed and withered. Malchus's ear was healed. I kind of go on the fence on that. Sometimes I think that's healing. Sometimes I think that's a miracle because it was just reattached. But it's one of those. Second, there was a second big catch of fish in John chapter 21. In Acts chapter 5 and in 12, there were the apostles were freed from prison by angelic in, uh, intervention. Angel came and did it. Well, just because an angel did it didn't mean it's not the working of miracles. Because how did that, how did those things happen? The church was praying. That opened the door. And this miracle came through. So an earthquake was released. Paul and Silas. Young man was restored to life by Paul when he fell asleep in the meeting. In the Old Testament, we see the ten plagues, which were miracles done on behalf of a nation. We saw Moses in the wilderness with the water, the manna, so many other things that had, had gone on. Elijah called fire down from heaven once, twice, three different times. Would have done it a fourth time, but the man... Decided to uh, be humble. But let's take a look at a couple of specific ones. And then we're going to go in depth into one to, to really try and understand how this gift is in operation. In Acts chapter 13, we're actually going to look through 6 through 12. I only put 11 in there. That's the actual verse. If it's not up on the screen, don't worry about it. I'm going to read it here to you. Verse 11 is the one that has the real key information. Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsuls, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. They then saw who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the, time, the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Don't misunderstand. Working in miracles do not always work nice things. This was a miracle 
It was done through Paul as he declared it and he said, he, he said it, you're going to be blind and uh, he became blind because he came against the things of the gospel. In Acts chapter 14, verse 10 is the main area of scripture I want you to see. But I'm going to read just the, the, the surrounding scripture just so you get a feel of this. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting to cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Never walked. If you've never walked, do you know how? If things are restored, do you know how to walk? No. The man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed said to a, with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, who did it? They raised their voices saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Obviously this had an impact. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was in the front of their city brought oxen and garlands to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now we know that doesn't last very long. Pretty soon after this they're ready to kill him. But here they're all excited. When they saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Well, see, he had never, he had never walked. There was something wrong in his body. Somehow he was born in such a way that he could not walk. The muscles weren't there. The bones weren't. Something was going on. He could not walk. It may have been a nerve thing. It may have been something in the spine. We don't know what it was. All we do know is that a miracle took place and what needed to be restored was made whole, was made restored, and he got up and he walked. He didn't have to learn how to walk. He leaped and he walked. That is a miracle. In um, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, just this one verse here, in Stephen. Now, was Stephen an evangelist? He was the only, the only title we have on him is he's a deacon. We don't have that he was a pastor. We don't have that he was a prophet. It's not even called an evangelist, though he may have been. Maybe he's just not called that. But as far as we can tell, he was just somebody in the, in the church and they said, Hey, we got some busy work for you. We don't want to take time doing it and pull away from the anointing, but it's okay if you do. And so they gave him, they pulled him in along with some other people to uh, take care of some of the, the goings on in the church. And so he got in there and did it. But the faith and power that was working on him just kept growing. And it's said that he did great wonders and signs among the people. As far as we can tell, he didn't do it inside of a five-fold ministry. This is just something he walked in and came upon. Don't think you have to be an evangelist or anything else for, for this gift or other gifts to be working through you. But... We still don't get a whole lot of detail that can help us to understand what this gift is and how to walk in it. Many people, when we look at the working of miracles, we think, oh, miracles, I am no Moses. I am no Elijah. I mean, I can't even hold a candle to those guys. I am no, I am certainly not one of the apostles. I'm no Paul. I, I can't hold a candle to these guys. How am I going to walk in that type of an anointing. How can I have that gift? And so what we do is we just give up. Well, I just can't, uh, I can't. I can't do that. I can't operate that way. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I was growing up way, way back when I was, when I was younger, and I actually used to watch the Olympics. I don't remember the last time I watched the Olympics. They bore me. I, I don't. I don't like their commentary. I don't like much that they're doing. I, I just don't tune them in. So whenever they come on, just make sure, you know, we find some, some good things taped to, we can see if we want to sit down and watch something, because uh, those things, that's all over the place. But I don't watch them. But way back when I was growing up, how many of you remember Nadia Komenich? I mean, we just know that name. I mean, that name just was kind of like, whew, up here. As far as gymnastics was concerned, this gal was, was it? Now I know we have an American and, oh, I knew her name. What is her name? Who is, what is it? I think that's it. Who is so good, they've actually changed the rules so that some of the things that she does, she won't get the points for. Isn't that garbage? I'll tell you, that's garbage. 
Now, I don't know. You put the two of them next to each other. I don't know who's going to be better. But they're, they're both really, really good gymnasts. And, but back then, Nadia was just, she was the, she was the best. And, uh, she would do the routines and how many perfect scores did she get? I forget how many, but perf- perfect scores. I mean, that stuff scares me that they do. There's no way I'm becoming a gymnast. It scares me. Doing that stuff on that balance beam. Are you kidding me? Doing the stuff on those uneven bars. Oh, I mean, come on. And then the floor routines that they do. It's just, uh, it's remarkable. Uh, Simone, I think I've seen some of her floor routines. Oh, wow. The stuff that they do. It's like, can, how can you make the human body do that? And how do you know where you are while you're doing all this? I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, those things scare, they can just scare you. At least they do for me. That is intense stuff. Now, we see these people that are up there. Does, does seeing these people operate, did Nadia Komenich, watching her on the TV, did it keep people from becoming gymnasts? It didn't, did it? How many people became gymnasts because of the inspiration of her? How many people became gymnasts because of Simone? Or how about that? Who, I, I don't remember these, these people's names, but I remember the, the American gymnast who uh, had a broken ankle and still did the routine. <sighs> Coach comes over, picks her up. <laughs> what a scene. But these people inspired young women to become gymnasts. Why? Why did they not look on those people and say, I cannot do that and just drop out? Why is it that that kind of performance inspired people to pursue it? And we look at the working of miracles and say, I can't get there. I'm not even going to try. How is it that this can discourage people and things in the natural inspire people? You should be inspired. No one says you have to become the level of Paul, Elijah, Moses, Joshua. No one says you have to be at that level right now. But you'll never get there if you don't get out on the mat. If you don't, if you don't step out. Remember what Paul said in Corinthians? Desire earnestly the greater gifts. Desire them earnestly. We need to go after them. We need to pursue them. If no one's pursuing it, no one's going to get there. Verse 11. Luke chapter 7. Now it happened a day after that he went into the city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him with a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when they, the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Now, three things to observe that seem to draw this gift into action. Three things. First off, there was no hope. No one had any hope here. Mom didn't have any hope. We're going to bury him. People following her and the big, great, great crowd supporting her out there in the, the funeral. There's no hope. We're all going out here to, to bury the guy. We're sad for the mom. We're sad. Some of them lost a friend. There's sadness that is there. I want you to see something that is missing here. Not only is there no hope, there was no one acting in faith for Jesus to work with. Many times in some of the other miracles, we saw that someone acted in faith. The centurion had faith and the gift of healing was an operation. 
many of those, there was somebody doing something. He kept them in the place of being in faith. But this one, there is no one acting in faith for Jesus to work with. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But there was no one acting in faith here. There was no one who had hope for anything to be, be changed. Romans eight twenty four, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with, pace, with perseverance. Perseverance. There's that endurance thing that a lot of Christians are lacking on. You don't have that endurance. They have no hope. There was no hope going on here. Have you ever had a situation in your life? Don't raise your hand. Ever had a situation in your life where you had no hope? I wanted to believe for something, but I don't see how it's going to change. You have no hope. That's the situation here. Here's the second thing. There's no help. There was no one asking Jesus to intervene. There was no one coming along to be an assistant. Do you see him grab any of his disciples? Say, hey, let's go change this. If he grabbed one of his disciples, what do you think they would say? But master, he's dead. <laughs> I could see them saying that. He goes up there by himself, doesn't grab anybody else to go with him. There's no hope, there's no help. In Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. But there was no one asking. Verse 11, If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts or good things to those who ask Him? There's an asking. Matthew 21, 22. Look at this closely. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. What kind of restrictions are on that verse? Anybody see them? Do you see any restrictions in that verse? Whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. The only restriction I see is believing. If I can be in a place of faith, there is nothing that I cannot ask for that I will not receive. If that verse is completely true, we don't absolutely have to have someone with the gift of the working of miracles to achieve what we need. But if we have a hindrance, something getting in the way, God has provided for it. See, this is where God wants you to be. Not everybody's there. And so, God has helped, has given us help so that we can get there. But you always, you gotta be in a place to be believing. There's a lot of people who think they believe. They've convinced themselves that they believe. Brother Hagin used to put it this way. They got head faith but not heart faith. They believe in their head but it's not down on the inside. It's not down in their spirit. Every time I hear this particular topic, I always hear Brother Fred Price. Because Brother Fred Price, he would teach this often. And I, I every time I see him teach it, I drop whatever I'm doing to listen. Because I've heard it, I don't know, maybe a hundred times. And it's not enough. I need to hear him teach it. I need to not only hear him, I need, I need to watch him. I love watching him. When he's on the videotape and I'm watching him teach this, I get excited. Doesn't matter how many times I've heard this. But how many of you ever heard Brother Fred Price teach, Faith is always present tense. Have you ever heard him teach that long, drawn out story of how people came and challenged him about that? And how he went back to it and looked at it and, uh, and evaluated it. No, no, no. Every time I look at it, faith is always present tense. It's not future. It's not past. It is always present tense. Oh, I love his teaching on that. I love his enthusiasm when he teaches that. I love his conviction when he teaches it. Oh, I, that's why I get excited every time I watch him teach it. <laughs> I don't ever get tired of hearing Fred Price teach on this. I love when he teaches on that. Faith is always present tense. So there was no hope. There was no help. 
And here's the third one. There was no hindrance. That's the big one. There was no hindrance. You see, since no one had any hope for anything being done, there was no one who could doubt that anything would be. Isn't that right? So there's no hindrance. There was no one doubting for Jesus to be hindered by. He could do what he wanted to do, or actually what God wanted to do there. He could do it because no one was out there doubting. When he had the dead girl, that Jairus brought him to, to, uh, to heal at first, but then she died, and they go into the room. What's he do with all them people that are making noise and being unbelief? Puts them outside. They're still around. Don't think people can turn off your faith. They can't. Well, the reason this happened is because some people were praying and they just weren't praying right. That's hogwash. That's just something the devil is trying to sell you on. That is not true. Get them people out of your, out of your life. I mean, there's some people you shouldn't involve in your prayers. There are some people that you know about, but mostly this is relatives. There's a reason for that. Relatives feel completely at ease in speaking their mind to you. They don't speak the word, they speak their mind. Friends put a little filter there. Well, I want to say this to you, but we're just friends, so I'm not going <laughs> to. But relatives, they don't have that filter. Oh, honey, you can't be believing God for that. As long as I've known you, you've had that condition. Your mom had that condition. Your dad had that condition. You'll have that condition all your life. You'll probably die from it. That's relatives for you, right? There are some relatives you just shouldn't involve in what you're believing God for. If that relative comes up to you and says, what are you believing God for? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. Let them think you're a heathen. (laughs) It's better. (laughs) Just don't involve them. All, all you need is one or two people. Really, you can get by without that. But if you got one or two people that will walk in faith with you, you're good. Jesus had 12. But he only relied on one or two of them. Because he knew most of them, they weren't useful yet. They will be. But we're not even sure about Peter and John. I mean, I'll bring them along. But, <laughs> but you get those hindrances in your life. The devil loves it. He loves it. There are sometimes you just need to be quiet with people about what you're believing God for. And just don't tell them. There's no reason that you need to tell them. In um, Mark chapter 6, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's just the general gift of laying on of hands. There's no gift of healing working. There's no working of miracles working. There's no gift of faith working. And he marveled because of their unbelief and then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. The way that you combat unbelief is to teach. And so he taught them to try and help them overcome their unbelief. Mark chapter 5 verse 35 While he was still speaking some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken he said to the crowd You mean he didn't? Who did he say it to? He said it to the ruler. He said it to Jairus. Because basically, I don't care what the rest of these people are thinking. I only need you to be here. I need you to be in a place of faith. Because if you get in doubt and unbelief, you'll turn this off. These people have they're no consequence. I don't care if they're in belief or unbelief. It makes no difference. But you, you're important. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. Now, if believers don't pursue the gifts of the Spirit, individuals won't know what the gifts they have been given. If believers don't pursue the gifts of the Spirit that are on their life, individuals won't know what gifts they have been given and the body cannot benefit from them Nor can God send them. If I don't know that God has put a gift upon me, then God can never send me to use that gift. 
He sent Jesus to use the gift. He sent Paul to use the gift. He sent Peter to use the gift. He sent other people to use the gifts that were on them. He sent them because they knew they had the gift. We didn't go, we didn't write this scripture down, but you remember in the book of Acts, Jesus, uh, Peter comes up to the gate, beautiful gate, Peter and John, and they see the man, lame. Jesus had passed by him many times. And he said, look on us. And the man looked at him expecting to receive alms. And he said, silver and gold I don't have, but what? Such as I have, I give you. You see, he knew what he had. It's not prideful to say, I have a gift of the Spirit. It's not prideful at all. In fact, you ought to know what they are so that you can be walking in them and so that God can send them. If you were just put it in the natural standpoint, if you in your in your pocket, in your purse, in your wallet, whatever it is that you carry cash with, how many people still carry cash? Anybody still carry cash? Yeah. All right, a few people still carry cash. It's good. I carry cash. I have cash in my pocket. If I have cash in my pocket, God can send, say to me, give $20 to that person over there. And I can go to that person and give them $20. If I have no cash in my pocket, what can God do? See, I can't give what I don't have. I have to know that I have it. Now, I may have $20 on me and not know it. If I have $20 stuck in one of the pockets of this jacket, but I don't know that it's there. Have you ever had that happen? You pull out a suit, you pull out a something, and I didn't know that was in there. Ladies, in your purse, you you got into a pocket in there and didn't realize that there was actually a $20 bill in that pocket. And, oh, I didn't realize this was in here. And you're glad. Nobody, nobody blessed you with anything. You just found what you already had. But you just didn't know that you had it. But then once you got it, oh, I'm okay. I got something. And then I can give it out. If you don't know you got it, God can't call on you to give it. I've got to know that it's in me. That's why when uh, Paul was teaching on these things, desire earnestly. We got to desire the gifts of the Spirit earnestly. I got to go after them. I got to pursue them. They're here. God has given gifts to men, not to fivefold ministries. He's given these gifts to all of us. These gifts are in operation. You may have one, you may have two, you may have three, you may have four. You may have five and only know about one. You may have five and only know about zero. Now, if you don't know you got any, you can't go out there and work them. And if you don't work them, you won't know what else you got. See, there's a general call that's put on the body of Christ. That general call is to speak encouraging words to people. But somewhere, speaking encouraging words transfers over to the word of prophecy. When does that happen? You won't know until you get out there and you start speaking encouraging words to people. Somewhere, the general gift of laying on of hands transfers over to the gifts of healings. How does that happen? When does that happen? You won't know unless you get out there and you lay hands on people because of the general call to lay hands on the sick. If you ignore the general call, you will never find out if you have a specific gift. You've got to walk in what we're told to walk in. If I do that, then this will, will go on. Well, what about the uh, revelation gifts? Word of knowledge. We've already talked about those, but how do I know about, about them? If you will not obey the word that God has written, you will not obey the word that he gives you. So see, all three of these areas have areas of general anointing that I can walk in. And if I walk in, I will find out what is more. I've told you before, I think the word of knowledge ought to be one of the most active gifts in the body of Christ. Because it will help you immensely. We saw examples in Scripture where it helped individuals for their own life and it helped individuals help others. But you've got to step out in these things. If I don't step out, nothing will happen. Well, what if I lay hands on people and they don't get healed? That's not your business. 
Your business is to lay hands on the sick. That's your business. Well, what if I, I speak words and they aren't encouraging? It's not your business. Speak encouraging words. Edify. Build them up. Eventually, somewhere along the lines, you are going to get a prophetic word, something that rises up on the inside of you, got inspired. I don't know where this came from, but it just starts ushering out of you. Just pouring right out of you for somebody. Oh, wow. I don't know where that came from. Man, that was, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that's just the, that's just the start of it. You see, the gifts of the Spirit, folks, the gifts of the Spirit are empowered by God. It is the very powerful nature of God in them. And they will accomplish things. I have a scripture for you in first, second Corinthians 10 verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Most Christians, get this, most Christians fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons and this is why they have strongholds. Don't raise your hand. How many of you have a stronghold in your life? How many have something in your life you've identified as a stronghold? How many have something in your life you've been saying that's a stronghold in my life? The only reason you can have a stronghold in your life is if you are going after it with carnal weapons. Look at this scripture. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, His nature, for pulling down strongholds. I've mentioned this to you before. I'll mention it to you again. If the mighty weapons always pull down the strongholds, can you have a stronghold in your life? Now, how is it that Christians have strongholds? Because we're not using the mighty weapons. I don't know about you, but I know one of the things I love to do is uh, when I can find them is find those uh, TV shows that are about special weapons. I love special weapons. Because I have no other way to find out about these special weapons. But I've, I've listened to, watch some of them, and you, you see those bunker-busting bombs. Anybody know what a bunker-busting bomb is? This is the bomb that when it hits the ground, it doesn't explode. But actually burrows down into the ground to get down to where the bunker is, and then blow up. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> They're trying to hide underneath the ground. It used to be a stronghold. It used to be a safe place. Not anymore. Why? Because we have mighty weapons. It used to be that people would hide in wooded areas in some of these uh, third world countries that our troops were in and shoot at our troops and mow them down from the trees while they're out in the road driving and they're, they're vulnerable. Until we got the mighty weapons. And they got this mighty weapon that is absolutely awesome. This mighty weapon, I saw it in operation. On the TV, I didn't get to see it physically. But it looks like a Humvee going on down the road. It's got a gun on top. But it's got some special stuff on the inside. And all, uh, after one shot... It locates exactly where it shot from and returns fire. Now, if you're listening with your ears, there's all kinds of echoes and things that can... Where did that come from? You're not sure. This thing's not fooled. It knows exactly what tree you're hiding behind and it takes the tree out and then takes you out. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Back in Vietnam, how many of you know what a, um, a C-130 is? Big old aircraft that uses to carry stuff. Well, they came up during the war in Vietnam something called an AC-130. You know what an AC-130 is? It is, an, it is a C-130 with guns. That's all it is. You know how fast the C-130 goes? Not very. Not very. They're slow. But what they would do is they'd take this C-130 and they would park it way up high in the sky where the people in the, the Vietnamese army can't see it, hear it, and they would find targets down the ground and they would shoot at them from way up above here. And it would spook them. They don't know where they come from. They actually spooked them because of their superstitious beliefs. And these uh, AC-130s would take out many of these uh, installations and no one ever knew where they were coming from. Spooked them. 
I could keep telling you about weapons. <laughs> I haven't even tapped a little bit of what I what I know about weapons. But uh, these are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. If you need a stronghold pulled down in your life, God's got a weapon for it. So why in the world are you going after that stronghold with swords and spears when God has mighty weapons for you? When we think of the weapons for the Christian believer, we often think about Paul's description, and most of his description is for defensive weapons, except for two. The sword of the Spirit, and the second one isn't defined as clearly, but most people I've heard teach on it, and I would agree with with that, is prayer, which would be in in conjunction with the spears that a Roman soldier would have, because they would have many different types of spears, just like we have many different types of prayer. But, if you look at the nine gifts of the Spirit, each of these nine gifts is able to take out things of the devil. In the revelation gifts, this is keeping you from being ignorant or expose the enemy's plans, as well as let you know what the plans of God are. How many can see some benefit for that in battle? The inspirational gifts, these are words of encouragement and hope. How many could see some benefit for that in battle? The power gifts, well, they, they attack the very work of evil in your body and your environment. These nine gifts of the Spirit, folks, are part of your supernatural warfare, part of your, of your mighty weapons. And if we don't tap into these spiritual weapons, we are going to have strongholds in our life and we're going to have areas where we are not victorious. The enemy is. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to operate in all nine of these gifts, folks. We are a body. God likes diversity. Satan likes sameness. But God likes diversity. You ever look at kingdoms that Satan has taken over? Everything is worked to be the same. Everybody has the same thing. Everybody has the same money. Everybody has the same house. Everybody has, uh, it's all the same. God likes diversity. And there's diversities of gifts. You may have one gift. Somebody else may have another. Well, I don't want to have to depend on them. Tough. This is how God set it up. He wants us to be a body. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Man, I've been getting these headaches for the last couple of weeks. I know somebody who's got a gift of healing that every time they pray for headaches, they go. And off to them you go. Because the body works as the body. You don't have to feel, well, I guess I'm not as good because I don't have that gift of healing. God didn't give that one to you. He gave it to someone else, but it's in the body. You can take advantage of it. And it'll pull down those strongholds that are in your life. Because God wants the strongholds gone. However he can get them out, he will get them out. If he can get them out on your own faith, he'll get them out that way. If you need some help, he's got ministers, he's got people in the body of Christ that have that gift. But unfortunately, some people are sitting on these gifts and the enemy has told them they're not for today. I don't need them. I'm no good. I can't walk in those kind of things. It's for other people. He's told them all these different lies. The gifts of the Spirit are not on you because of your holiness or the way that you live. They're on you because God gave them to you. From there, you need to have a walk worthy of those gifts. Go back over to the mighty weapons one more time. How many remember, they're not used as, as much, but back in World War I and World War II, one of the backbones of the Navy was a thing called a battleship. And they had what was called a Missouri-class battleship. These Missouri-class battleships had guns on them that could fire a shell the weight of a Volkswagen 25 miles and hit a football field. That was a long time ago. We now can hit a blade of grass on that football field. <laughs> and they can. You aim for which piece of blade of grass you want to hit, and that bomb will take it out. Of course, it'll take out the whole field in the meantime, but <laughs> we, we, can, we have become so used to precision that we can't stomach anyone else dying who wasn't supposed to. 
But back here, World War One, World War Two, Missouri class battleship fire this twenty this this shell weighs the like a Volkswagen bug weighs that much fire it twenty five miles and hit a football field. But in order for that gun to work, they had to put plate after plate after plate of reinforcement on that gun. Because when that gun would fire, it would rip, it would try and rip out of the boat. And so there had to be a foundation for that gun to be able to fire. They had to take in consideration how they were firing, that they didn't turn the boat over. In fact, if you were going full speed and you fired that gun in the direction that you were going, it would actually slow the thing down to the point that it would stop it if you fired enough of those shells. That's how much force was coming in. When the gifts of the Spirit are on your life, you ought to have a life that is able to handle the guns. Your whole Christian walk is getting yourself ready. You're learning about the Word. You're learning the depth of the Word. Because a shallow understanding of the Word of God will not handle where this gift can take you. These gifts are powerful. They will pull things down that the devil has erected as strongholds. And for normal people, they would be but not for the mighty weapons. These mighty weapons will take them down. The devil doesn't want you operating them. If you are operating them, he wants to get your life in such a way that you can't handle the firing of the guns, that your deck begins to be pulled apart. Don't let that happen. Pursue these gifts. Go after them. Don't ever buy into the fact that you're not good enough because you didn't qualify for salvation because you were good enough and you don't qualify for these because you're good enough either. There is no qualifications for these gifts because they're by His power, not mine. But God needs us to pursue them, which is why Paul wrote, desire earnestly. Pursue these things. We've got to pursue love too because love is part of your foundation. You get that love walk going, you're going to keep this, these guns able to fire and not have the problem. But these gifts are in you. Don't sell yourself short and don't let the devil tell you that you can't operate this way. Don't let the devil tell you that they're no good anymore. Of course he doesn't want you firing them. <laughs> he doesn't want the mighty weapons going out there. And if you've ever been a recipient of one of these mighty weapons in your life, do not let what was given to you, go. Hang on to it. No, devil, I know I was healed. I know I had the miracle. I know this happened. God did this. I know it. And you hang on to it. You don't let it go. Because the enemy is going to try and get that to, to go on. Would you stand up with me? One of the things that you will have to do in order to operate and see these gifts operate, is you have to be willing to receive from them. I have to be willing to receive. If I am in need of a spiritual gift going on in my life, I can't be sitting there and saying, well, I don't want people to know I have this going on in my life. Uh Uh-uh. Don't be doing that. Be willing to ask for people. You come into church on on Sunday, well, I've been battling this particular thing. Um, I'm going to do what the Word of God says and get hands laid on me. I'm going to tap into what's what's going on. And see, as different ones step out in these gifts, they begin to find out, wow, you know what? It seems like when I pray over people that have arthritis, when I pray over people that have headaches, when I pray over people that have tumors, Brother Hagin should say people that had tumors, it seemed like a 9 out of 10, 19 out of 20, something like that, some high number, when he would pray over them, it would go easier than most of the others because there's a gift that is operating there. But if we don't give other brothers and sisters the opportunity to walk in the gift, they won't have the opportunity to find out where that is. And I need to be willing to step out and to pray. Be willing to have people pray for you. Be willing to to be one who does the praying. And then when you receive something, be like a bulldog. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. You bow your heads with me. Is there something that's here that you would like hands laid on you for? Hey, different people in the church. 
operating in different different areas. Is there? If there is, raise your hand up or come out here to the front. All right, we got one, and there's another one. All right, we got a couple of them. Come on up to the front if you want to pray. Pray for these things. Glory to God, Miss Vanessa, stop playing. Come on down here. Miss Vanessa is one of those ones who knows that she has a gift in this area somewhere. Hasn't exactly figured out exactly where it is yet. But she knows it is there. See, so the more that we tap into that, the more we'll find out. Yeah. Glory to God. Lay hands on these people. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on up. Help off on the other end. Lay hands on the on these people. Now you're here. You just stay in faith. Just don't be in unbelief. Unbelief will turn it off, but we'll just put you out of the room. <laughs> just put you out of the room. Understand when Jesus prayed over people, he didn't take care of the sickness and disease or cast out the demon spirits by a lot of words. Some people talk too much when they pray. We're not here to try and talk the sickness or disease into going away. We're here to tap into the power. Tap into the power, it's done. How long did Jesus pray over people? It wasn't long, was it? I can't find a single time he prayed over them very long. We sometimes pray over people too long. We pray the first five seconds in faith and the other 30 seconds in unbelief. Don't do it. You don't need much. A lot of times all you need is that point of contact, that hand's being laid on you. And you draw off of that and that power comes in. You don't need the words, you need power say that again. You don't need the words. You need the power. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you for the work that you are doing here in this body that you have. That you are raising up these gifts that people, as they step out and they lay hands on the sick, these gifts are going to begin to materialize. We expect these gifts to be in operation. We expect gifts of healing. We expect gifts of the working of miracles. We expect to see the gift of faith. We expect to see the gift of prophecy. We expect to see the word of knowledge. We expect to see the word of wisdom. We expect to see the discerning of spirits, tongues and interpretation. We expect to see these gifts in operation here in us. Father God, I thank you. We receive those things in us. We're looking for them. We're pursuing them. We're asking for them because we're going to be faithful with them and we're going to do things. There's a lot of strongholds that the devil has been erecting all around because no one will attack them with the spiritual weapons. Glory to God. We're going after them with the spirit, the spiritual gifts, the supernatural warfare of our weapons that we have in you. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you all. Appreciate you coming on out here today. Next week we're going to be looking at something that you may have never seen in the resurrection story. But when you see it, it will help you in your life to understand that there is nothing that you are facing that is too great. So we're going to spend some time with it, but we're going to do that next Sunday. Glory to God. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us.